chapter 2. Now, I will have to admit to you that um, as I began approaching Mother's Day, I've had several people tell me, as I preached Mother's Day the last few years, I always pull out some obscure woman in the Bible and celebrate motherhood through her. And they wondered what lady I was going to find this year, this overlooked little nugget of Scripture. And instead of finding some obscure lady to celebrate, I, I really felt, after discussing with Pastor John and some of the staff, the need to celebrate the value of women in general to our world, our church, and the kingdom of God as a whole. In a year that North Place Church has been dedicated, our time in the sermon to discussion of leadership and a year where we are committing to raise up new leaders, it is fitting that on Mother's Day we would assess the value of women in leadership in the kingdom of God. Even with an unmistakable, unmistakable contribution that women have made to the church, there's still this sense of lingering man-made cultural baggage that has limited the role of women in ministry. I posted it on Facebook and Twitter, but my title this morning is Three Lies the Church Has Told Women. Now you might say, some of you ladies, well, Pastor, the church has never lied to me, and I realize that most of the ladies at North Place Church understand that Jesus came, and He intentionally, in His coming, elevated the role of women in a society, challenging the social and religious norms of His day. As a result, women have become one of the most powerful influences in the kingdom expansion that we have to offer as a church. And since this is an accepted fact by most of us here at North Place Church, many of us may be tempted to say, well, pastor, what's the big deal? Well, because we have been blessed as a church body that values the role of women in ministry and in leadership, we have forgotten that much of Christianity still uses the Bible today to keep women in spiritual bondage. And even many of the denominations and churches who have empowered women in leadership and ministry are still, those, those, those denominations and churches are still victimized by a lingering cultural limitation that is placed on the role of women. When I went into Bible college, I was a teenager called of God to preach the gospel. And my heart broke when I came to school and in the four years that I spent there at Central Bible College, I can remember young ladies who arrived the same time I did who voiced the same call of God to full-time ministry, whether it was to be a missionary or whether it was to be an evangelist or whether it was to be a pastor or a seminary professor. Those same young ladies who voiced the call of God into full-time ministry faced some limitations on opportunities. While they had the same call I did, they did not have the same opportunity that I had as a man. And I watched many of them graduate from Bible college and have to determine some other role of livelihood or some other role. Here they've been trained for ministry, but because the church was dominated to give men more opportunity in that sense, women with the call of God were either forced to marry a man that had the call of God and fulfill the call of God on their life, and because that was the expectation, the school that I, be, I, I am now on the board of, my alma mater, Central Bible College, was often referred to as Central Bridal College because women went to CBC, they thought, to marry a preacher because it was automatically overlooked that a woman could stand alone and have value and a call on her life to do something great for God apart from the covering or call of a man in her life. 
I, I watched as young ladies that walked out of there with the same call of God. And many of them have broken through the cultural limitations and the anointing of God has made a way for their lives. But I watched many of them struggle with the limitations that were placed upon them simply because they were not a man. I was reminded of this just last Wednesday. A church that I have a long time established relationship with just it wasn't planned it was coincidence that they happened to have one of their women in leadership lead the children's ministry that night doing the teaching and then a, one of the ladies in leadership doing youth service that night and just so happened the pastor's wife was doing the teaching in the service on Wednesday night and a man walked into the service and his journey from outside into the sanctuary took him by the children's area he came late and he saw a woman teaching the children and a woman teaching the kids. And he walked in and saw a woman teaching in the sanctuary. And he erupted into a belligerent rage in the foyer and attracted all of this attention because uh, there was a church that actually allowed. And it wasn't something the church planned. It's a church that celebrates the value of women to the kingdom of God. And it's a taken-for-granted establishment in their church. But this outsider came in and blew up and made a scene in the sanctuary because there were actually women teaching where men were present. This happened in a church not too far from here just a few days ago. And you say, well, pastor, what does it have to do with you? Well, let me say this. Um, uh, Let me speak from the farm for a moment. I do have a dog in this fight, and that's the word that we use on the farm, because I have a little girl, and, and I have a daughter who is five years old, and if I resign to live under the old ways, then as a father, I can be hopeful that my boys become mighty men of God with a world of possibilities, and I need to simply get adjusted to the fact that my daughter is limited to domestic work in the church and in the house, keeping the nursery and being a mother, and while all of these are irreplaceable callings, it is a lie to a little girl to tell her that that is all she can dream because of the limited role the church and the culture has placed upon that little girl. I believe God has empowered her, He has called her, and God might just see fit to make one of my young men one of the greatest musicians of all time and my young daughter one of the greatest evangelists of all time. And we cannot allow what the church has traditionally said to women be a limiting factor upon what God might say or do in her life. Through the years, people have twisted the Scripture to uphold some pretty serious and radical claims over time. And if you'll bear with me for a moment, I want to share some of those extremes with you just to show you how Scripture has been twisted during the the Crusades. Crusaders during medieval times used Bible passages about Israel's wars with enemy nations to defend violence against Muslims and Christian knights inspired by misguided clergy slaughtered thousands of Muslims and Jews in the name of Christ in their efforts to reclaim control of Palestine. Not too long ago in South Africa, leaders of the Dutch Reformed Church used passages from Genesis to teach that black people are actually animals and not humans. And for decades, they used sermons to support apartheid system that denied basic human rights to a country, sending a clear message that the white man's God viewed non-whites as inferior creatures. In Hitler's Germany, some Christians used to take the Bible to defend acts of violence against Jewish people, saying that the Jews deserve punishment because their race was the responsible party for crucifying Christ. 
before the American Civil War, there were sincere Christians who used the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 and in Colossians 3 to support the wrong idea of slavery. Some of the great reformers in Christian past, modern Bible teachers as well, have taught that God no longer performs healing or miracles. And uh, uh, mentioned in the book of Acts, it's known as cessationism or dispensationalism because of a twisted interpretation of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 10. There have been many people that have used the word and have used them wrongly because of cultural lenses to rob us as a church from some of the greatest blessings that God's word makes available and I realize that some of these examples may be extreme but through the centuries church leaders have distorted the Bible in similar ways to deny women the right to preach to teach to pray publicly to pursue ordination to serve as chairpersons on leadership committees but the Bible was not used to limit those roles God gave women freedom matter of fact in Ephesians 5.22 there's scripture that's often cited women are to submit to their husbands that verse has been used to even call women to tolerate physical abuse or sexual abuse from their husbands in order to to glorify God in submissive femininity. And that's nothing more than spiritual and scriptural abuse in order to make things happen. It's no wonder that many Christian churches have limited the role of women. But if you begin to understand the way Jesus radically elevated the status of women in society, you can begin to understand how radical His message was. When we read the Bible, we see Jesus just having conversation with ladies, whether it's the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the woman with the issue of blood. We don't think anything about it because we live in a different culture. But to live in a culture to understand the primitive world that Jesus lived, women were considered little more than property. They were viewed as ignorant, evil, and oftentimes repulsively immoral. They were taught by Jewish leaders and not allowed, they were not taught by Jewish leaders, and the Jewish leaders taught that women were not allowed to enter into the to the synagogue. They were not allowed to receive an education. They were segregated. Uh, Rabbi Eliezer in the first century summed up the view of women in that culture. Rather should the words of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman, he said. Whoever teaches his daughter is like one who teaches her obscenity. It is into this world that the Messiah came preaching a message of unrestricted access to the love of the Father. Because women in the 21st century did have basic human rights. We take for granted the revolutionary ministry that Jesus had as He challenged the cultural norms of His day. He welcomed women among His disciples. He had conversations with women that were culturally taboo for Him to have as a Jewish rabbi. And He was caught teaching a woman at his feet in the book of Luke chapter number 10 you find Mary and Martha and Mary is caught at the feet of Jesus learning from a rabbi who has class in session and Martha is in the kitchen working and doing what women of her day were expected to be doing and when we talk about that story of Mary and Martha I think we missed one of the most profound issues is that Mary was willing to challenge the cultural norm of her day to risk 
risk her reputation and be where she wasn't supposed to be, getting an education from a rabbi which was culturally unacceptable to the point that Martha rebuked her. Martha said, Mary, you need to get in the kitchen. It wasn't just because Mary, Martha wanted help in the kitchen. Martha believed the kitchen was the place of safety. It was the place of the traditional view. She wanted Mary to get back where she belonged and not challenge the status quo. But when Mary left the kitchen to sit at Jesus' feet, it signaled that all women, that their primary calling in life is not domesticity, marriage, or motherhood. The ultimate purpose for woman is to know Jesus Christ Himself and to be affirmed through that just like Mary did. It may be through being a homemaker. It may be through being a mother. It may be through tending to the nursery or teaching children. Or it could be preaching the gospel to the nations as a missionary and being empowered by an anointing the Scripture makes available to every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. And the Scripture says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. God takes available messengers and uses them for His kingdom. I want to challenge some accepted status quo today. And I gave you a text a moment ago from the book of Joel. And I want to challenge you in that regard. It's in Joel's prophecy... Joel said that he was going to allow the Spirit of God to come upon all people. He is prophesying of a day when the power of the Holy Spirit would rain down. And he says in verse 28, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, Joel says, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. That Scripture was fulfilled in the book of Acts and the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter number 2 came on 120 people of gender difference both men and women and the power of God to anoint them to fulfill the great commission came upon both men and women so you say pastor what is the lie well I only chose three lies but if this topic interests you I challenge you as whether you're male or female to pick up Lee Grady's book, Ten Lies the Church Tells Women. I don't have time to look at ten lies. I don't really have time to fully examine all three, but I want to mention them. And my objective this morning is not in one sermon to change the way you look at this and to change what culture has written for the last hundred years or two hundred or thousands of years. But I want to challenge you enough in your thinking to provide a different statement than some of us may have thought, enough to get you into the Word of God spend time in God's presence dealing with these issues. Many of the statements and quotes and information that I'll be sharing with you this morning has and will come from Mr. Grady's book and through his research. Lie number one. The church has insinuated that God created women as inferior beings destined to serve their husbands. Lie number two. Women are not equipped to assume leadership roles in the church. Lie number three. Women must not teach or preach to men in a church setting. My objective today is not to endorse radical feminism in our culture. 
with in line with radical feminism is a sense of revenge against a male-dominated society. And in that is a, is a sense of endorsement about uh, abortion because it's labeled as a women's right, neglecting the gift of life. Uh, all of those things are apart. That's not my objective, and I don't want anybody to interpret that. It is simply on Mother's Day not only to celebrate motherhood, but to celebrate the gift of women that God has given to the church because I believe one of the reasons the church, I know this church, is where is that today is the dedication of women through the years who kept the doors open when there were just a few people here and we are celebrating the blessing that we're celebrating today in this church and as the church as a whole because of praying women who got in touch with God. And I really believe if the church could tap to the potential of the gifts and anointing that God places on women's lives, the church could move into another level of effectiveness in the kingdom of God. So people will look at these various issues and and they will ask questions. But let me celebrate some women. Some of these folks wanted me to pull out some of the mothers because I talked about Rizpah last year and others, an obscure female hero in the Bible. Let me give you a few. The daughters of Zelophadad are unheralded ladies in the Scriptures in a day when the women stayed in their tents and when they went out they wore veils. You rarely hear sermons or any mention about Zelophadad's daughter They are mentioned in Numbers 27, in Numbers 36, and in Joshua chapter 17. And it's an amazing story about a day when women had no right to own property, and yet because Zelophadad had no sons, the daughters of Zelophadad went to Moses in Numbers 27 and said this, Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses was challenged by the request of these young ladies who had, you have to understand how audacious it was for them as women to go to spiritual authority and ask for the right to own property in a day when it was totally unacceptable when women themselves were viewed as property. And so Moses took the issue to the Lord. I would dare say that most spiritual authorities today that have a struggle with women in leadership have not taken the matter to the Lord. They have only stopped and accepted the culture that has been handed down to them. We would be bold enough to take the issue to the Lord. The Lord's response to Moses when he took the issue to the Lord, the Lord said to him in verse 7 of Numbers 27, the daughters of Zelophadad are right in their statements. You shall surely give them a hereditary possession among their fathers brothers and you shall transfer the inheritance of their father to them. An amazing story of, of ladies challenging the cultural norms of their day for the sake of their family and God honoring them in that process. There's another little hidden story in the Old Testament. It's the story of Aksa. She's the daughter of Caleb. It is in Joshua chapter 14 and Joshua's or Caleb's daughter asked her father for a piece of land again in a day when females had no rights to own land she had an audacious proposal and yet Caleb being the father that he was broke cultural norms and not only gave her the piece of land that she asked for he gave her twice what she asked for and I believe God is calling for women of faith to rise in the same way as Aksa and he's looking for them to be a giant killer in their mentality 
just like the same spirit that was on Caleb that transferred to his daughter to dare to say it to dare to stand for it he is looking for ladies with an apostolic spirit who will carry the great commission in their heart whose burden for the lost so heavily weighs upon them that they cannot rest until the whole earth has been filled with the glory yes women can perform domestic functions in the church and at home along with their husbands but they are not relegated to that women can plant churches disciple new believers counsel addicts heal the sick perform miracles cast out devils own and run successful businesses they can open soup kitchens feed the poor be elected to political office and transform nations for Christ because Jesus has empowered all of us to establish his kingdom in this world there's another little story of an obscure lady in the book of Job. It's actually a series of ladies. It's Job's daughters. You remember Job lost everything he had and God restored to him children. And in Job chapter 42, when God restored the children, it mentions that God gave him seven sons and three daughters. It didn't even mention the sons, but it mentioned the three daughters by name. And the father gave them a portion of his inheritance. I believe again the Holy Spirit is showing to us God's heart for the place of women who have been abused and marginalized, who have been set aside and told they didn't have a place or an opportunity. I believe this morning morning ladies that the Lord sees you as beautiful maybe your self image has been marred by life's disappointments and tragedies many women struggle to find their identity in Christ because of abuse domestically or sexually or the shame of their past and their sin but don't let the mistakes of your past and the wounds inflicted or the words said to you by other people stop you from gaining your rightful inheritance that the Father has established for you on this Mother's Day and in a year where North Place Church is celebrating leaders when the term leader is mentioned don't don't let your mind automatically go to the fact that pastor is just thinking about some man and his role I believe that God has saved us and redeemed us and anybody that has been pulled out of the pit of sin who has been pulled out of the miry clay and set up on the rock it is that person that ought to have the right to tell the story to sing the song to preach the redemption to a world that desperately needs the love of God The church, maybe when we've not said it, we've implied it, that women are second class and God will only use a woman when a man is not available. Gladys Isleward was a missionary in the 1930s. In that day, British women were rarely sent to the mission field to preach. Females could go to the mission field if they were nurses or school teachers, but not preachers. And yet she challenged the norms of her day. And because of her life, dozens of Chinese orphans were saved from invading soldiers during the Japanese occupation. And there was a movie made about her, the 1964 motion picture, The End of the Sixth Happiness. This missionary that challenged the norms of her day. And even with all of her heroism, she said this, I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done for China. There was somebody else. I don't know who it was. God's first choice. It must have been a man, a wonderful man, a well-educated man. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw Gladys Isleward and used her, she said, in a man's place. Catherine Kuhlman that has been known and seen and 
had miracle services and healing. She was an evangelist and she taught Bible studies at the First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh and it launched her into a national ministry. Even Kuhlman made an awkward statement. She said, I'd give anything if I could have just been a good housewife, a good cook, and I'd like to have had a big family and it would have been nice to have a man boss me around. I I wonder why women that had such great spiritual authority and influence would make statements as if the only reason God called them to do what He did is because some man did not respond. It's because the church and the culture has fed the lie that a man is God's first choice and the only reason that God would ever use a woman is if a man fails his responsibility. And I cannot help believe by the text that I read to you that when the Spirit of God comes on the church, sons and daughters will prophesy and God will use men servants and maid servants for His glory. That when God uses a woman, it is not a second-rate choice because His first choice didn't sign up for the job. I believe that God empowers all of us. It's a lie that tells women they aren't good enough and they'll never measure up to a man's worth or abilities. It's a lie that tells women they weren't created on the same level. It's a lie that says God made man first and then created women as an afterthought. And I just believe it is a lie that has limited the role and the effectiveness of the kingdom of God in our world by saying there's only one part of the church that can truly be effective in the kingdom. We've seen this most recently. And I want you to know it's a very divisive issue among Southern Baptists. In 2000, the nation's largest Protestant denomination passed a policy that states, while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. And while they are debate, one Southern Baptist pastor said to an Orlando newspaper that day, his name is Robert Parham, he's a leader in the Southern Baptist Center for Ethics in Nashville, Tennessee, he said this statement, the Southern Baptist, when we adopted this, has pulled up the drawbridge of the 21st century and locked its members into a 19th century cultural castle. We live in a culture where women are qualified to serve as governors, senators, mayors, university deans, corporate presidents, ambassadors, and even military commanders. We've received remarkable status from ladies in diverse fields of space exploration, business, medicine, athletics, and every every other area you can imagine. And yet a majority of evangelical churches remain closed to the notion of a woman assuming the role of a senior leadership position in the church. And it's one reason the world views us as ignorant insensitive and irrelevant and I wouldn't really care how the world viewed us if what they what they were seeing was not a distortion of scripture if we were doing so because the Bible said so then I don't care how the world views us but if the Bible empowers women to be effective in ministry then we should not be irrelevant in a day when women are be effective in every other area of society Jesus had women inside his realm of disciples if Christ commissioned solely men to the ministry of the gospel Why did He call women into the 120? He gave them a commission to reach the world and when He called them and empowered them and equipped them to the upper room, He gave that power to both men and women. Why would He have given that power to all of them if only men were empowered to carry out the gospel? Now let me give you some examples in the Scripture of some women that have caused problems for many of our cultural ideas that limit their role. First of all, Miriam. The Scripture says in Exodus 15 and 20, 
or excuse me, in, in Micah chapter 6 verse 4, God says to the nation of Israel, I brought you from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Because she represented a place of spiritual authority to those. And they came and saw Miriam the same way as they saw Moses and Aaron. She's the first person in the Old Testament we see leading congregational worship. And still today there are many Protestant evangelical churches who will not allow a woman to lead worship in church because they don't believe it's appropriate. And Miriam was the first leader of congregational worship in the Bible. What about Deborah? In the Scriptures, in the book of Judges, Deborah was not only a civil ruler, a judge, she was also referred to as a prophetess and the only one respected with that position other than Samuel in the book of Judges. She was a prophetess and a civil ruler. She had a husband named Lapidoth, but he did not share her spiritual authority and is rarely even mentioned in the Bible. She is the one that is celebrated in the Scripture. Then you have Huldah. After 50 years of paganism and spiritual idolatry, King Josiah assumed the responsibility of king and they discovered, Hilkiah the priest discovered the book of the law that had been hidden in the temple and when they wanted an interpretation of that, they called Huldah the prophetess. Obviously, an expected woman of spiritual authority in that day to interpret the book of the law to them in that situation. An anointed woman of God sought for advice by Christian leaders of her day. If Huldah was empowered of her day, how can those under the new covenant assume that women in leadership roles are out of order? And Esther, while she was not in a place of spiritual authority, an ecclesiastical authority, it proves that God uses women like Esther in strategic positions of influence to further His purpose. She was shy, and the Scripture says that her uncle Mordecai said to her, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from some other place and you and your father's house will perish. Who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Esther 4.14 there may be women who struggle with acting boldly like Esther, but you can influence nations by your boldness, your intercession, and the ministry that God has called you to. And maybe God will use me like Esther's uncle Mordecai and encourage you not to remain silent in this moment, but to fulfill the call of God for one reason. There's a lost world out there that needs Jesus, and we're going to limit our effectiveness if we believe that only men have the power to do something about the lostness of humanity. Phoebe, Paul commanded and commended this woman to the church in Rome. He said in Romans 16, receive her in the Lord. He calls her a deacon. The word, now this is interesting, in the Greek is diakonin. It's the same word used to talk about men, deacons, and when it refers to men, many of our English translations translate it deacon. But when it refers to Phoebe, our, a lot of our English translations translate it servant because many of our translators are skewed by a cultural idea of the limitations of women's roles, but it's the same word, diaconin, and there is, a, there is biblical proof here that Phoebe was a deacon in the Scripture. Priscilla 
It's amazing. If you'll notice that every time Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, Priscilla is mentioned first. And if women are not allowed to teach in the church, why was Priscilla, who was named above her husband, why was she allowed to teach Apollos and help found the apostolic ministry of Apollos and shape his life and his ministry? It's doubtless that the teachings of Priscilla were probably better or stronger or more recognized in the early church than her husband. And that's the reason it was mentioned. I've met very few men in the church world today who are secure enough in their manhood to let their wives excel in ministry and them stay on the sides and play a supportive role because it makes them be weak. Matter of fact, do you remember just recently in the campaign that... um, 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 Oh, gosh, I can't believe I forgot her name. What was the lady that was vice? Palin. And her husband was called First Dude. Because we're not accustomed to seeing it play that role. And somehow it seems that it weakens a man, but yet I view that man as more secure in his manhood than most of us to celebrate the successes of his wife and what might be a call upon her life to community service. You have Philip's daughters in Acts 21 and 9. They are four daughters that are called prophetesses, mentioned in the same phrase as the respected male prophet Agabus, and they see them as the essence of women who are preachers at a high level of respect with spiritual insights and level of gifting. Lois and Eunice taught Timothy, and then this is another interesting translation, Junia the Apostle in Romans 16 and 7. Up until the 13th century, Junia's name had always been interpreted as a woman. But because, as we later see developing in the body of Christ, Junia was translated after the 13th century in the Scriptures as Junius, so it would be viewed as a male because our translators have a difficult time seeing that a woman could function in the role of the apostle. And so the translation was changed from Junia, which is a female name in that time, to Junius. It's amazing to see how culture has influenced. Chloe oversaw a church mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 in her house. Colossians 4. Uh, Nymphia had a church in her house. I mention all of these examples to say to you, there are examples all throughout the Scripture where God empowered women to make a difference. And you may say to me, yeah, but Pastor, what about 1 Timothy 2.12 where women were told to be silent in the church and not to teach when and have an authority over men? And 1 Corinthians 14.34 and 35, women remain silent in the church. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husband husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church there are people that refer to those passages of scripture and let me say this based on previously stated examples you have to interpret scripture with scripture you interpret one scripture with another it's obvious that Paul is not going to celebrate women's gifts and speaking and leadership gifts in one place and universally condemn them in another place There had to be cultural reasons for why Paul limited the roles to Timothy and limited the roles in the Corinthian church on these two occasions. Obviously, women in that day were denied a right to an education. They were not not educated, didn't have the ability to speak in public because they were not trained to do so. Some were known, and it's stated multiple times, that many of the women had dedicated themselves to a fertility goddess. And it's mentioned in John's teaching and even Paul's teaching to Timothy that many of those women were spreading that false doctrine 
And it was one notion that Paul culturally had a reason to silence them because there was this spread of false doctrine. But those who say the limitations placed on women being quiet in the church was a universal application to all women at all time. Those same people do not follow Paul's instruction that a woman has to keep her head covered when she comes to church. And that was in the same conversation. And they say, well, the head covering thing was cultural. Well, if the head covering thing was cultural, then so can the silencing of women in the church be as well. One cannot be cultural and the other universal if you study the passage in context and interpret Scripture with Scripture. We have overlooked as a church the obvious message of the Bible and taken one obscure passages from Paul's writings and twisted it to keep women in a place of subjugation and insignificance. I'm sure the devil has laughed at delight as we have heavily uh, helped him in limiting the advance of the gospel by limiting the role of women. By telling women that it is virtuous for them to sit back in the church with their mouths closed, we have kept them off the mission field and reaching people for Christ. I thank God there have been women through the centuries who did not bow to cultural norms. Women like Amy Carmichael who wasn't content to stay in her comfortable home in England but went to India and obeyed the call of God to preach with fervor to thousands and they found Christ through her Donovore Fellowship and young Indian girls were pulled out of evil system of Hindu temple prostitution because of Amy Carmichael's ministry. Or what about Bertha Smith? who had she adhered to her own denomination's restrictive policies about ministry, would have never gone to China and sparked a revival that is still being felt there 50 years later in the underground church. Or what about Amy Simple McPherson, who didn't swallow the lie that women should not speak in church? She would have never blazed a trail in the United States if she had. In the 1920s, her message uh, literally sparked revival. She founded a denomination called the Four Square that has five million members in it today. And just this next summer, here in July, I will preach in the church that she founded in Los Angeles. I have been there once. And the Dream Center meets in the church that Amy Simple McPherson founded because a woman didn't let the call of God be limited by man-made limitations on her life. What about Henrietta Mears, the great teacher of the Hollywood Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles who taught a Bible study. She wasn't limited by her ability to teach and in that Bible study was a man named Bill Bright who was influenced by her teaching. He founded Campus Crusade for Christ and 147 million people have come to Christ through Bill Bright's ministry which was profoundly influenced by Bible teacher Henrietta Mears. Or what about Catherine Booth, the founder with her husband of the Salvation Army? Or healing evangelist Catherine Kuhlman? Or Bible teacher Corey Tin Moon, uh, Corey Tin Boom? Had they kept their mouths shut when the Spirit of God prompted them, thousands, if not millions, would have never heard the call to come to Jesus Christ. I want you to understand, both men and women, God wants to use all of us. On this Mother's Day, inside a year where our church is celebrating leadership, I can tell, I supposed this, I can tell, um, I preached elephant in the room for three weeks. It's the uh, taboo thing the church shouldn't have been talking about. I can tell by your silence this morning, this should have been sermon number four. And the elephant in the room, maybe it will be. 
The largest church in the world is Yonggi Cho. Gabe, you can come, Pastor Bear, whoever's going to prepare our hearts for the altar. Pastor Yonggi Cho pastors the largest church in the world. In the 1970s and the 1980s, pastors flocked to Seoul, Korea when the church broke 200,000. I mean, that was amazing that a church somewhere in the world was running 200,000 people. And so pastors from the U.S. flocked to Yonggi Cho's church, the Yodio Full Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea, during the 70s and 80s to see if they might learn something to help grow churches in the U.S. And they came back and celebrated two things they picked up. Number one, Yonggi Cho relied heavily on prayer and motivated his congregation to pray for hours each week. Number two, he divided his congregation into small cell groups that met in homes, giving converts the proper outlet for regular discipleship. And so Americans came back from Korea, and they established cell groups and prayer meetings. And while they were somewhat effective, no church has even come close to the size of Cho's church, even when it was in the 70s and 80s at 200,000 people. Today, it's nearly three-quarters of a million people, and some say over one million people. And Cho mentioned it in the United States and in Italy. He said in a statement that people overlooked the third ingredient that was the success of his church mushrooming the way it did. And I'm going to read it just as he stated it. I quote, For 5,000 years in Korea, women had no voice at all. They were only to cater to the needs of men. Then Christianity came and set women free, especially in the church. Women are set free in Korea. In ministry, they are equal to men. They are licensed. They are ordained. They become the cell leaders. Out of 50,000 cell leaders in my church, 47,000 are women. I have 600 associate pastors. 400 of them are women. They are wonderful workers. Without women... I don't think I could have built up this big church. I'm not the only one who uses women. The Presbyterians, Methodists, Holiness, Baptists all use women in Korea. But this is not what you do in Italy. He's making the statement Italy. You don't use women. They come and warm the bench. If you ever train the women and delegate your ministry to them, they will become tremendous messengers for the Lord. If some of you are going to quote 1 Corinthians 14.34, women are to be silent in the church, I'll tell you one thing, brothers and sisters. Once women are called in the ministry, they are no longer belong to the category of women. They are messengers of the Lord. So I'm not afraid of having women workers because by empowering women, we are evangelizing all of Korea. And I'm encouraging American churches to use women. And European pastors are very slow to learn this. I come and encourage them to use women. All of it was birthed out of a nervous breakdown in 1964. For five years, Yonggi Cho was too sick to even pastor. But before prior, prior to his breakdown and all the growth of the church, he had led a ministry of women in a cell group and empowered them to lead. During the five years of his total absence from the church, the church grew 43% under the leadership of women. It grew it from 3,000 to 18,000 under their leadership. And I asked the question, what if Christians from America who had visited in the 60s, 70s, and 80s and got the issue of prayer, that's true, got the issue of cell group ministry, it was powerful, if our culture had not inhibited us from seeing that missing ingredient, 
the value of women in ministry, it could have radically changed the growth of the church. And now today in America, the church is in decline. And in the same way, there's not one county in the United States has more people going to church in it today than it did 10 years ago. And I believe in the power of men. I speak into the life of men. I cannot tell you the influence men have over their children, over their homes, and over our world. This is still a culture that listens to the voice of men's spiritual authority. But if that's all we think there is, we've limited the church to explosive growth. And if somehow we could rediscover a gift that God has given the body, a gift called motherhood, then please understand, None of my message today has been intended to make light of domestic work, keeping the nursery, teaching children, motherhood. My wife is not one of those women that's going to celebrate a call to speak. She will tell you the call of God on her life is to help me fulfill my call, to be a mother to her children, to supportively stand in the background for this church. That's what she feels called to do. But there are a whole lot of women that feel called to other things that feel like that what my wife does is all they can do. Both of them need to be celebrated. But we don't let what one woman does, and the church condones to, to limit, if a woman is called to do something else, to limit her effectiveness in the kingdom of God. I want to speak a blessing over women today, over mothers first, and over women. And I have a heart today and maybe it's because as I prepared for this message, the names and faces of young ladies who walked the line of seminary with me with the same call of God on their life that I have, who still have no ministry position today. And it's not because they don't have a heart or they don't have a call. It's just because they don't have a place. And I know in my heart there are women under the sound of my voice today, whether they've never acknowledged it or not, I'm going to be Mordecai to an Esther this morning and tell you, you cannot be silent. Because God needs an Esther for such a time as this. And if there's a call on your life, maybe outside the norm of what has been comfortable for you, I want to pray for you this morning too. I want you to stand with me all over this place if you will. Can I pray over mothers? And then I I want to invite some people to the altar in a moment. Father, after watching my wife take care of three kids and be a wife and pastor's wife, there's nobody in this room that more highly values what a mom is and does and by shaping her hearts of her children she shapes the world truly the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world I pray you would increase her influence the point in my message today was not to degrade their influence but to liberate their influence to tell them that as being mothers God that you would empower them to make a difference to challenge the way men have thought 
about their spouses and have used the Bible to limit them? Would you empower the giftings that you have placed in these mothers since birth? And God, for that woman under the sound of my voice today, who hates Mother's Day because of infertility, or that single young lady, Lord, that hasn't yet found a husband and feels like, whether it's infertility or because she's single, doesn't feel that she's complete. Would you let her know that she is complete in you? A child does not complete her. You complete her. A husband does not complete her. You complete her. And then while she is single, and even without children, she has worth and value. And today, as an encourager, as a Mordecai, as a pastor's gift to mothers and women today, more than giving them a a rose that will fade, I want to challenge cultural thinking today to recognize an overlooked gift in the body of Christ. And I pray they will hear you call them beautiful. That they will hear you call them first rate, not second class. Not inferior, not incapable, not the second choice when a man doesn't show up. The unique gifts, will you reach into their life today? Will you shatter the limitations, the lies? And God, will you advance the kingdom in North Place Church? Because an army of capable, equipped, called women finally have been given a permissive place to celebrate the blessing of God on their life. Let there be an explosion in response to this word today as there was with Yonggi Cho. And God, for that woman who is totally fulfilled in her life, in the quiet, in the shadows, in the motherhood, just like my wife, would you bless them Would you affirm their value today? One calling is not greater than the other. And may you affirm their quietness. And the ministry that happens that nobody sees. We're not celebrating one over the other. We're just trying to remove the limitations today, God. And would you shatter the limitations and empower an army into kingdom service. Bless these people, Lord Jesus. Bless young ladies. There are young ladies that come to me frequently, Lord, that have a call of God on their life, but they don't know what to do. They would, they said, if they were just a man. But you didn't make a mistake when you called them to be a young lady. I don't believe that Eddie, my five-year-old daughter, has to have a limited future. I believe she can be a mighty woman of God. I release that blessing on her and every senior adult, middle-aged, teenage, young adult lady in this room today. I pray that families in this church would have a blessed, prosperous Mother's Day while this sermon's not going to change anybody's mind in one 30-minute segment, can force them into the Word and force them into prayer to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. God, help us wrestle with this until we have your heart like Moses on the matter.
as you just wait patiently before we dismiss I asked the Lord and I know it's odd on Mother's Day but I couldn't get out of my heart that there are women under the sound of my voice this morning who have a call of God for some role of ministry and you've been inhibited or you've faced roadblocks and barriers and maybe they've been in your own mind maybe they've not even been anybody else maybe they have Maybe you've never even admitted it. You've never talked about it. It may be a surprise to the people that know you. You would even respond to this altar call. But this message today has dealt with this thing that's gone on in your spirit for some time. And the Lord is challenging you on Mother's Day 2009. And as a Mordecai this morning, I'm encouraging an Esther to step to her place of influence that will change a family, a church, a nation. As she listens to the call of God on her life. Whether you're a mother, you're married, you're single, you're young, you're old, it doesn't matter. If you're a lady today and you feel the Holy Spirit dealing with you, calling you, and you're ready to follow God regardless of what the culture says, would you boldly step out from where you are and come kneel around these altars today? I just, I don't care if it's just one of you or there's ten of you, I just, in my heart, feel that to celebrate Mother's Day today. There needs to be an affirmation of the call of God in the life of some young ladies, some senior adult ladies, some middle-aged ladies. Some of them may be mothers. Some of them may be wives. Some of them may be single. Some of them may be grandmothers today. I, I believe God wants to affirm that value on their lives this morning. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Upon men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. And he does that. Come on, lead us, Pastor Bear, as these ladies come and call out to God. Would you begin to lift up your the Lord's name today? Come on, I love you, Jesus. God, would you affirm these ladies this morning? Jesus. some other ladies that could come help these pray in the altar would you do that God just touches your heart come pray with these ladies that's to know you I'm not formally going to dismiss this service let the word challenge your heart go out of here blessing the Lord and have a happy Mother's Day would you